Talks began our new sermon series, Ephesians 4. Listen as he explains how unity demands a ruthless commitment to humility. For more information, visit harvestchristianfellowship.org or download the Harvest Christian Fellowship app. Thanks and have a blessed day. About being a regional church, of course, our prayer is for I-27 to watch what God is going to do, how he's going to grow this congregation, not just to reach I-27. Of course, we want to reach the world, but we reach our community first from our community. You'll see today how it goes out from there. But there is a key thing that must happen. Men, how many of you that have been married over 10 years, every time you said something to your wife, she automatically agrees with you? Okay, there's two of you in here. Wow. I want to meet your wives afterwards. We're going to find out if you're alive. Anyway, right? And women, it's the same thing for you, right? You don't always get your way when you ask. But we, we learned something over the last couple of weeks about marriage. We've been talking about marriage, and it's going to lay the foundation really for today because the truth is, the big idea for today is this, that as we choose to walk in humility one with another, then we come into humility that takes us to a place of unity. Humility will always lead you to a place of, of unity. We have to humble ourselves one with another. The reason why is because when we choose to get our way, when we fight for our way every day, all the time, then it brings discord. And when dis- discord happens, then we are out of unity. If you want the grace of God in your life, listen to me, church, you've got to choose to walk humbly before your Lord. Because he knows that in walking humbly before him, you will learn to walk humbly one with another. And as you do that, it brings us into unity. We live in a world of contention today. My goodness, if you watch the news, I've never seen such nonsense in all my life. Blown completely out of proportion. People throwing fuel on the fire. The media throwing fuel and fuel and fuel. Why? To bring division. To bring everything other than unity. And there's a reason because it will make a story. It will keep us employed. It's job security. How many of you heard this week of a black couple who adopted a white baby? Probably didn't hear that story. Probably didn't read that one. You know why? Because media didn't want to shine the light on that one. We, we've got we've to show all of this division. We've got to show how we're this unified we're we're no longer going to be a part of unity you know what brought this country together benjamin franklin said we must all hang together or we will surely what all hang separately because they knew they had to come together in unity for this country to be what it is today guys unity is is the ability to walk humbly before your lord and to walk humbly with each other to learn how to put other people first before ourselves and so today, as I, as I lead this sermon, as I lead this message, uh, watch how it all comes together because it touches us personally, but it touches us as a church because as bad as things are in this world, we should shine brighter than ever. They ought to be looking and saying, my goodness, who are these people who walk together and love one another and serve each other and serve the world? They even serve us when we don't even like them. There's a way to do that, and there's a way to make that happen. And God calls us. I'm going to change it up, Brett. I told you beware this morning. I'm going to the last page first. You guys are happy about that. You're saying this is going to be a short sermon. 
Shortest message you ever preached right here. Out of six pages, here's the last one. All right. I want to go to Psalm 133 real quick. And let me just kind of picture this because I think this, this gives us a great backdrop on what God calls us to be and how He calls us to live one with another. Psalm 133, 1, Behold how good and pleasant and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? In unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. And it's not a real pretty picture there. All right, but, but they would oil their beards for uh, better or for worse, I guess. <laughs> they, 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 would, they would oil them up so that they would pull straight and they would lengthen, they would continue to grow. And he said, hey, this is what unity looks like. It is like the dew of Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever morning, forevermore. And here's what I see in that. There is a commanded blessing when we live in unity. There is a commanded blessing. Now, let me talk about the Mount of Hermon for just a moment. The River Jordan actually gets its origin from there. There's actually, the dew is so heavy, a cloud rests upon that mountain. Every night, every morning, there is heavy, heavy dew. It is extremely thick. And that's the beginning of the River Jordan, the river of life. And if you study it, you'll see that, that it, it, it flows. And as it flows, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know where it winds up? The Dead Sea. Now, isn't that amazing that the river of life ends where? The Dead Sea. God's given us a picture. He's given us an illustration that we, as we participate in the river of life, we go into a world that does not know Him. It's a pull, if you will, of the dead. And we are to be life givers in that place. This is a backdrop to say this is how you command God's blessing even to the deadest of dead parts in the world. is to live in unity with your God and to live in unity with one another. Isn't that a cool picture? It's a great picture for us this morning. So now I'll get started and we'll have a sermon. How about that? Come on, guys. Yeah. Are we that? You know, one thing I will say about Amarillo Harvest is that, is that we, we actually do have a church that I believe loves each other. I, I honestly do not hear a lot of discord. Now, there may be some out there, and I'm the preacher. I get it. I told you last week the reason I chose to come into the preaching profession, you know, of course, the truth is God chose me. But the reason I, is so that no one would ever talk about me. Right? It's going to happen. I get it. You know, so, so we talk about this learning to live a life in community. Life groups give us the opportunity to learn to love others more than ourselves. It cannot be accomplished without humility. Humble people serve others. Humble people take interest in others. Think of Jesus. Jesus invited all to his table. Even Judas, the one who was responsible for the nails in his feet, Jesus washed his feet. He did that through community. Humble people attempt to make others' lives better. Humility is essential to effective life-giving relationships. One of the things we do with our children when we go to someone else's house or home, and our kids will tell you, and we turn around in the car and we say, now y'all listen up. 
Now, y'all are bickering and fighting and fussing or whatever else is going on in here, but it stops right now when those doors open. And when you get in that house, we're going to love on each other. And we're going to like each other. We actually do this. And then I said, here's another thing. We're going to everybody get a question. Everybody get a question. You can think of one up or I will give you one when you step out of this car. But you're going to have a question and you're going to ask this family or these people something about themselves. We do that. And we are intentional about doing that. Why? Because I want our kids to learn how to take interest in others. You know, we we grow up children thinking it's all about them. And it is to some degree. But at some point in time, they have to learn to make that transition. Look, it's a good thing for you to love your children. But how about this? Raise them where other people will love them too. I just threw that one in there. That's not in my notes, all right? You can just put that in your pocket and go home with it. So, so here we are. Hopefully someday, hopefully someday, this is what we, God is, is yearning for the church. Hey, listen to me. Learn how to humble yourself so that as you do that, you will learn to walk in unity one with another. You will be a light. You will be a city on a hill. You will look different from the culture that's around you, and they're going to want what you have. We've got the power. It's a commanded blessing. I love that in Psalm 133. There's not a whole lot of times you just command blessing, but you want to command blessing in your life? Learn how to apply humility and learn how to walk in unity. You know, one of our vision statements here is to reach 10% of the population. However, it's not the only vision. Of course, Jesus said, go into the, all, all the world. Acts 1.8 says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is local, in all of Judea. It's the northern, or it's, it's, it's a greater region, I'm sorry, just outside of Jerusalem, and Samaria, which is the northern region, and then to the very ends of the earth. So you make an impact directly where you are, and it's, it's got concentric rings. It's, it's that, that, it's, it, it, to me, it's an example of taking that rock and throwing it out into the water and just watching those rings go out. Be effective where you are. Be effective with your families. Be effective at home. Be effective at the church. Be effective in your communities. Be effective in your region. And it will continue to expand. That's a vision before us. There's something that happened at the church of Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, as you study it, it's amazing the preachers that went through that place. The Apostle John. I would have probably gone to hear him. I don't know. He just like got something to say. He had some revelatory stuff happen right in the end of the Bible. All right? I would like to have heard him. All right? You got Paul. Not only writes letters, but is preached there. It's, there's Timothy. There's different ones that, that trickle through this church, and it's very effective for its calling in its day. Harvest is, is, is wanting to become a regional church, but it starts with us right here. We're learning how to work this out. We're learning how to walk this out. I'm not saying we're perfect, but we definitely have this vision for I-27. I see it as a main artery that starts to pulsate and goes into all the small communities and one day will reach the world with a life-giving, Christ-manifested, Spirit-filled Bible-teaching church. Ephesians 4. Let's jump in here and look at this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, impart, or him, 
I'm sorry, it's supposed to be implore. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because I had a typing error right here. Implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. Isn't this interesting that he immediately jumps out and he says, hey guys, and, and, and if you've studied Colossians and Ephesians, they really parallel. But it, Ephesians shifts gears right here in, in chapter 4. He's really getting personal with them. And he says, hey, I, a prisoner of the Lord, he's in prison, he's writing this letter. And he says, hey, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. And the very next thing is with all humility. So all of us have been called. I, I ask people all the time, what's your calling in this life? To be a good person? Is that what Jesus is after? A bunch of goody goodies? I don't think that's it. <laughs> that wasn't it for me. All right. What is your calling? What's the one hope of your calling? We'll get to that here in just a moment. But as a church, we know our calling is to walk in unity, to walk in humility. And gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Rick Warren says it this way. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Unity doesn't come easy. It takes intentionality. Most importantly, it takes humility. When you look at our country today, we have a prime time to really shine for Jesus Christ. We should be shining it because we learn to walk in unity. You know, I have missionary friends that say I'd never pastor a church in the United States. Isn't that interesting? Because they hear the, war, the, the horror stories and the, the war stories about the parking lot meetings. You know, I had a wise pastor, a mentor of mine years ago who said, Curtis, remember, in any meeting that you're in, all the meetings that you'll attend as you go through being a pastor, he said, remember, 90% of the time the issue is not the issue, the issue is power. And who's going to have it? Everybody's got a voice. We live in a democratic not a theocratic system in our culture. Everyone wants a vote. I get it. I do too. And I, fought, I, I would fight for that in the political scene. But in theocratic government, what God t tells us to do, he said, hey, how about we do this? How about we walk it out in gentleness with patience and humility? How about you learn to, to shine in that way? You know, all of us have an opinion on church and how it ought to run, right? I mean, some think if we could just vote on everything, we would have unity. I tried it. <laughs> I tried it, folks. Maybe if, if we could just take some time and listen to everyone's opinion. I thought I had that figured out, and then they came out with email. So I still get the opinions. Maybe if we just pray enough, fast enough, have another potluck, we can walk in unity. Potlucks do help, folks. Anytime you want to drum one of those up, go ahead. Some of you are here this morning because of this the disunity in your former church. You got tired of the bickering and the fighting. Then you thought, this does not feel like church to me. I get that. I get it. It's time to change some things. The Apostle Paul believes unity is possible within the church. It's one deliberate choice of humility after another. A deliberate choice of humility.
one after another. Let's keep reading. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all, in all, and through all. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Look at that for just a moment. This tells me that God hopes in us. He has a hope in you that He created you for a purpose, for His plan, for expansion of His kingdom. And He hopes that you will find it. He hopes in you that you one day will walk it out. And it starts with being humble. And see, when we're humble before the Lord, I've said this many times that the fragrance that attracts God the most is humility. God really will listen and appeal to your prayers in a way when we humble ourselves before Him. Oh, there's a woman who broke in one day and broke an alabaster flask, and all the religious people had something to say about that. Oh, what about the money? What about the perfume? What about what's wasted? What about what could have been spent on the poor? But Jesus said, wait a minute. She, she spent everything she had. She, she saw the Lord walking upon this earth, and she gave all that she could right here at His feet. Wait, don't miss it. There's plenty of religions, there's plenty of religiosity out there that misses Jesus when He walks in their midst. She humbled herself. It was attracting. It, was a, it, it, it became, a, Jesus became attracted to that type and that form of humility. You know, I propose to you today that there's not a whole lot of unity among the churches and we're not turning the world upside down it's not so much doctrinal issues as it is humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. We ought to be flipping this world upside down. I'm just saying. And we have the power within us to do that very thing. We hold more to our opinions and offenses than the command of Jesus to love one another. One faith, one baptism. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul says it's one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. He's, he's making a point here. Look, we serve this God. This is who he is. It's amazing now how doctrinal issues have separated us over that statement. The Apostle Paul would have never wanted that statement to separate it, to separate us, and yet it has. One baptism. One God, of, God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. When we choose to walk in humility with each other, submitted to God, the kingdom of God is released exponentially. It really happens. People run to it. You can go over and see what's, what's happening on the Ivory Coast in Africa right now. People are flocking in multitudes because they're seeing a move, a hand of God, and it's, it's really through humility. And it's multiplying exponentially. And we have the same God here. One Lord, one faith. You know, when I was in basic training, I really tried to think of a different example. I didn't want to use a basic training example. When I went through basic training about three or four weeks into it, a smoke grenade came rolling down the middle of the bay. It was followed by a flash and a bang. And it was probably about two in the morning, I'm guessing. I have no idea what time it was. It was early because I was asleep. And a flash and a bang, and, and we all jumped up. And I was in the first bunk on the top bunk. And back then, you would tow the line. You'd run to the line any time something happened. So we secured our weapons. So it was later on in base training where we actually had our weapons. We hung them on the, the post of our bunk. And we secured our weapons. We were standing there on the line. And, and in 
the doorway was a drill sergeant that we had never seen before. His name was Drill Sergeant Bacchus. I've never forgotten him. He was much older. He was intense. When I say much older, he was much older. He was an E7, which you didn't see. They were E5s, E6s. Uh, we had two other drill sergeants assigned to our platoon. Neither one of them were there. Just him. He wore his brown round a little lower than the others. His eyes were piercing. He had a huge scar that just went across the side of his face. I mean, this guy could have been on a TV show. He started flipping bunks. He started throwing things. He started kicking things. And we're already, we thought we were beyond that. You know, we've been there long enough. We thought we knew the routine. And this guy changed the whole routine. He's the one that taught us this. The more you train in peacetime, the less you bleed in war. Men, remember what I'm telling you. I'm preparing you for battle. This is not a joke to me. Found out later that actually he got in some trouble and had to, was assigned this duty. Was assigned to us. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway. He never let us forget the sacrifice that so many had paid, had given, had humbly served. Serving his country and serving us through his knowledge and intensity, I would learn later that it would be a blessing. We quickly became unified because we had a common enemy and it was him. It's amazing when you get a common enemy, how unity can, can come into that. Like I said, we didn't see it at the time, but today I'm grateful for men like him. They don't quit. They pour into the next generation. They are full of wisdom. They have been there. He was a Vietnam veteran. Served several tours. He showed up at graduation with more ribbons than I'd ever seen on anyone. We're like, oh my goodness. Something different. Listen, this is the Apostle Paul. Oh, he's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bitten. He's had all these things happen to him. He has weathered the storm. And he writes this letter and says, Listen to me. Apply these things to your Christian walk, to your Christian life. He's intense. He's not kidding. When you got a letter from him, the last thing you wanted him to do was follow it up with his presence. You see, they listened. He believed in, in the mission, in the vision that was before the church at Ephesus. He wanted them to become a regional church. He wanted them to continue to be effective for the kingdom of God. He even gave them the common enemy found in chapter 6. But most importantly, he spoke to them about chief servants, those who are gifted to help train others for the mission at hand. In our churches today, and this is true, and I've gone back and researched it, studied it, I even wrote some stuff that was published on it. One of the things we lacked in seminaries year after year after year was leadership training. We train these pastors how to be pastors. We train them how to go to the hospitals. And if it's this type of condition, don't spend more than two minutes. If it's this kind of condition, don't spend more than ten minutes. We teach them how to pastor. We give them theological books to read. But we never teach them or show them how to be leaders. Where are the leadership classes? And only over the last 10 or 12 years have the leadership classes started coming into our seminaries and saying, look, you better learn how to step out and take the fire, men. Women, children of the Most High God. Now I'm about to throw that upside down. And we've gone too far. Now we're more concerned about the great leaders and great leadership than we are about the servants and servanthood. 
I think we ought to change leader now. We ought to call it the way Jesus called it. The greatest among you will be the what? The servant of all. The one who learns how to walk humility out in their own life. The one who knows how to bring unity because of the humility that they learn to walk in. That they learn to serve in. Go and serve one another. Show the world who I am through your willingness to be humble, to serve. Mother Teresa, she's got some great stuff out there. You can, you can just, I mean, it's amazing to, to me the statements that she can make. You know what she did? She served a leper colony. But I bet most of you have heard her name, if not all of you. She was, she was great in God's eyes. She is great in God's eyes. Ephesians 4 says this, 7 through 12, but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So each one of us have a measure of grace. Now, grace, if you want a definition, you can go to the lengthy definition. You'll find it out there. It's written about the same way in several of your commentaries. But I like to define grace this way. It's God's ability. For it is by grace that you have been saved, not of works, so no man should boast, right? For it is by what? Grace? God's ability, not not your ability. Praise God, He gave us the ability to say yes. And you can pretty much do that all throughout Scripture. You can use those two words, God's ability. So God has given us His ability, so this is what this tells me. All of us can choose to walk and use His ability to be unified. See, we can't do unity the way God intended without Him. It's got to be His ability. Look, there are plenty of times that I can get in the flesh. There are plenty of times I can see something that I probably shouldn't have said or say something or seen or say something I shouldn't have said, meaning this. That sometimes I'll, I'll see something up here at the church and I'll say, Brett, the heck? Right? And I'm, I love Brett to death. He knows that. Right? He's like, well, I didn't think we ought to emphasize that. I thought we should emphasize What are you listening to me? Right? We, we all have that, that ability or inability, you might say, of either walking with the Lord or choosing not to for the day. I was using that example. I don't yell at Brett. Don't get upset. Okay? Just an example. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Brett. I, I didn't see you back there. Anyway. So, right, but, but we do. We want a clean ship. We want this thing to float. We want to make sure that we have all the seams. You know, we, we, we have all the, the wax in the seams. We, we don't want it leaking. Of course, we can, we can look at the ship more than we look at, at who is commanding the ship. And His name is Jesus by the way we've got to have God's grace we've got to have his ability to learn to walk in humility with each other to be unified to accomplish the mission now so my first point and you're saying man are we about done I don't know but my first point would be this all believers have God's grace Ephesians 4 it's right there we have the ability to carry out unity because he has given us his grace his ability to do so the only reason we don't is because we refuse to live in the grace that He offers. If you are a believer in Christ, you are in God's army. We have a mission, a task. We need to be in unity in order to accomplish the mission at hand. You can, I can do this through the power of His grace working within us. His ability. 
Ephesians 4.11. Now this gets twisted, perverted in many churches. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. This is known as the five-fold ministry. These types of ministries are usually the paid positions within a church. The same pastor that gave me the advice about that I shared earlier about, um, remember, the issue is normally not the issue, it's usually power. That same pastor also gave me this scripture, Ephesians 4.11 and through 13, and he said, Curtis, remember this. This is your job. The five-fold ministries, this is what you do. You build up the saints. Use your teaching gift. Use your preaching gift. That's what God has given you. Now, Curtis, use it to the best of your ability. Humble yourself. Do this and equip the saints for service. A lot of people, I, I, I've realized, I can get out of my calling. The one hope of my calling. I think, well, shoot, I'm going to go over here and be a great leader. I'm just going to break through this whole deal. We're going to start this new ministry. We're going to, uh, I'm going to help people get involved in this ministry. I'm going to lead this great ministry. And Jesus says, I didn't give you that ability. <laughs> Why are you going to do that? <laughs> when I was at Wolferth, about my fifth year, a man came into my office and he said this. He said, Curtis, man, we've got ministries happening everywhere. This is just the most incredible. Actually, it's about my sixth year, I guess, whenever Herb Miller came. And he's talking to me. He's done an evaluation on the church. He's, he's kind of a church guru guy out of Pennsylvania. I mean, uh, in the denominational circle, he's, he's one of the most well-known guys there is. And he comes in. He's doing this evaluation. He looks at a ministry. Watch. Ministry had increased. This, this is... By the way, not just my information, I'm not patting myself on the back. Ministry in that church had increased over 400% in the last five years. That's a lot. And he could see it on me. And this way he said, I don't know that that's what you're called to do. This is impressive. And then these were his words. You are creating monsters that eat you. And they're eating at you. They're eating at your family. He was right. I mean, I had intestinal bleeding. I had all kinds of things wound up at the doctor's office. Doc, this is what the doctor tells me. He said, you need a life change. I quit preaching. It's like, holy cow, this still's getting bad, isn't it? You see, what happens is oftentimes we, we read this and we don't stick to it. What are the gifts of the Spirit that are given to us? Now, this is the five-fold ministry. There's not a whole lot of people. It doesn't mean that I'm greater, that I'm more powerful. None of that. As a matter of fact, it means I should be learn to become the servant of all through that gifting. Not enslaved to it, but learning how to minister with it. What God has given us. The fivefold ministry. Some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You see... We've twisted that. There are several books written out there on the great leaders of the church, the fivefold ministry, leadership, all this stuff. No, I think it's the fivefold ministry of servanthood. If you can learn to serve, if you can learn to be the example of what it means to be humble, to walk in humility with each other, with your staff, with those around you. If you can help draw them into unity, then my light will shine all the brighter for a world that desperately needs me. Chief servants, there is such a richness in Jesus that one specific leader cannot carry it all. 
but the body needs it all. The fivefold ministry are oftentimes the drill sergeant backuses in our life. They have a gift of equipping others and enhancing others' gifts. They build up, they serve others to the point of influencing them to the unity of the body of Christ. It's true, sometimes it looks like a rank-and-file system. Someone must be in charge, but Jesus said it this way, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's the fivefold. Equipping the saints for service. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The third thing is humility, of course. It takes humility to serve one another and stay in unity. Humility is is considering others as greater than yourself. Hebrews 13, 17, humility allows us to embrace one another's gifting. Ernest Hemingway, he said this, he said, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. I love that. In other words, you're going to have to grow. There's something for us to always work on. There's something for us to always do. So where are you this morning? How are you in your relationships? What's it look like when people come to your home? Are they greeted by servants? It's a great question for all of us. Do we have some kind of angst against others? Are we twisted? Is there someone's presence that we really don't like to be in and yet they consider themselves Christian? You consider yourself Christian. I remember a young man. One time we, I was walking with him and we watched an argument take place in front of us. And, and I, I never will forget, this is coming from a young man. Uh, he was really asking me some questions, but he taught me something that day. We watched this argument play out in front of us and this is what he said. He said, you know, one of them needs to learn how to be the bigger man. And that's always registered with me. Is there some, someone that, that we need to go and apologize to? Is there someone that we need to go to and say, hey, uh, man, you're a Christian brother, you're a Christian sister, and I've had this in opposition to you. You know, we're told to do this very thing, to lay our stuff down, go back and make amends with our brother or sister in Christ. Come back to the altar. Because God wants us to shine. And He wants us to do that through unity. Church, would you please stand? Some of you are weathered this morning. Some of you are older this morning. Some of you have scars. Listen to me. You're not done. Sometimes we look at those scars and say, whew, I've paid a price. <laughs> Let someone else do it. But the truth is, what God is saying is He's saying, no, 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 no. You're the drill sergeant backuses. We need you to teach us, to show us, to instruct us. True humility is using your gift up until you're no longer here. Learn to pour into the next generation. Learn to equip the saints for service. Learn to press in and walk humbly before your God. Show and teach the church how to come together and what that looks like. Many of us have 
fond memories of the church that we grew up in, of the potlucks that we ate. Bless God, we got to get back to that. Of mowing the grass together, of serving the homeless together. I remember in Happy Texas one time, packing 150 sandwich bags with gloves in them and socks, driving to Dallas one morning, handing them out to the homeless in Dallas and coming back that day. Those are fond memories. You know why? Because they brought us together to accomplish a mission. And the Apostle Paul says, here's your mission. Learn to walk humbly before your Lord and humbly together. And that will bring you into unity. And that will be of great witness. It's of commanded blessing to the world that needs you. That needs Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, you are welcome to come forward. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this congregation. Father, keep us unified with the mission and task at hand to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded and remembering that, lo, you are with us even to the end of the age. Father, we love you, and we thank you for setting the example of what servanthood looks like. In Jesus' name. Amen.